you. What about this one for my nephew? A superb choice. Oh, great. Yeah, provided he has already read Infinite Crisis and 52 and is familiar with the reestablishment of the DC multiverse. Who am I? Cypher? The gayest X-Man? I recently read this novel called Watchmen. I've never read a comic book like this. I used to read Betty comics, but that's it. I've never read, like, real, real comic books. This worked my out. Excellent! Hello, hello, hello. This is Chris and Eric's Songbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. This week is week four of Spooktober, and it is your pick, so you go ahead and do the honors. All right, well, we're reading Hellboy Box Full of Evil today. So that's uh, it was published as Hellboy Box Full of Evil One and Two. I um I've only read this in the, the omnibus, and uh, it's in the fourth trade at the back of it, uh, the right hand of doom. So if you're looking for it, probably best finding that trade. And the trades on Hoopla, which is how I accessed it. Same here. Yeah, we're both just reading it straight off of Hoopla. Hoopla's great. Everyone should get Hoopla. We keep using it for nearly everything. Even more than like Marvel Unlimited or DC Infinity at this point. Uh, Yeah, because we're making a concerted push to do less superhero stuff. At least I am till the end of the year. At the end, at start of next year, I have some superhero stuff lined up, but I'm avoiding it until then. In the meantime, we are talking about the big red beast that would be Ron Perlman. Yeah, I'm definitely a Ron Perlman fan and not a David Harbour fan. I haven't even seen Harbour's, like, movie, but that movie looked so bad. (laughs) My experience with Hellboy is quite literally just those first two movies, and it's been so long since I saw them that I remember next to nothing. I remember liking them, but my Hellboy knowledge basically comes down to just like the aesthetics of a couple main characters and knowing that there's a scene with a monkey and a gun that gets posted routinely to every social media platform for easy likes and Reddit karma, so. And that's why we picked this issue, this story. Yep. I picked this one because it was the one with the monkey and I laughed my ass off when I was like, oh my god, it's the one with the monkey. <laughs> That's an actual comic. I thought it was like just three entirely different. Like I had assumed that someone had edited the text on it and it was just like two different Mignola images just put together. You know, I, I was like, it- that's Mignola clearly, but like, come on. It's just really a thing that happens in Hellboy. Having so my experience is similar in that I've seen the two movies. I love both of them. I think of them as like that that you know, I mean they're Del Toro. It's Del Toro directing. Guillermo Del Toro. They're fantastic. He's never directed anything bad except for maybe Nightmare Alley, which I haven't seen. People have different opinions on Crimson Peak. I think if you don't like Crimson Peak, that's fair, but I like it. So I knew we were doing Spooktober again. And I was like, well, I've never actually read Hellboy comics, but I do love those two movies. And I love Mignola's work. Like his art's just so good. So I'm going to read all of Hellboy 
in time to make a pick. And I have now read all of Hellboy. Having always been interested in reading it and having now read the small bit, I am now interested in also eventually reading all of Hellboy. Hopefully one day I can manage to snag those nice big hardcovers for cheap. Luckily, they are all on Hoopla. The big hardcovers. So you don't even have to go through the trades. It's less picks. You could do it in a month with the number of picks that I think we get in uh, where we live. So I know different library systems pay for different numbers of picks for their users. So your mileage may vary on this being like an easy way of doing it in one hit. But you could certainly do it over a short period of time. With the omnibuses, it's like four trades worth in each omnibus something stupid like that like it's it's the huge but there's the two short story omnibuses which is everything that happens prior to the start of the main series is done in these short story omnibi and then there's the four others so if you read the two short stories and then the four regular then it's all of hellboy in chronological order because apparently the way this was initially released was somewhat Star Wars prequel-like, except it was just Magdola had, like, the first half of his life sort of mapped out and would just occasionally, like, do a story set during, like, the older times before the series got going. It does mean that the first Hellboy story that you read, if you read it in chronological order, if you read it in the omnibuses, is the one where he eats pancakes for the first time. Another one that should be one of those like ones that lines up on the internet all the time. Little baby Hellboy eating pancakes, and then everyone in hell screaming because he's definitely not going to want to go back to hell now that he's had pancakes. But for now, we have the monkey with a gun. Yep, box full of evil. So um, I guess if you're unfamiliar entirely with Hellboy, he is a demon with a big red rock hand. He was summoned to this dimension by a bunch of Nazis uh, during World War II and was found and saved by some allied soldiers. He came as a baby, like he he was like two or something like that when he showed up. Um, and so he has rejected his like demonic nature. He shaves his horns down. So he's just got these two sort of big circles on the top of his head rather than like the big corns that he's naturally supposed to have and he works for essentially like if the men in black just did like Lovecraft shit so I guess first basic question I know that the BPRD is a thing is that the group that Hellboy works for yeah do you know what it stands for God, I'm sure it said somewhere, but I can't fucking remember. I'm pretty sure it's, like, something Paranormal Research Department? I can't remember the B. But it's, like, magical FBI police sort of thing, right? Yeah, it's just, like, a procedural setup. You know, they'll get calls from people, and or they'll find out that something's going on, and they'll send in Hellboy and another operative or two, and, you know, it gives them, like, resources for these stories like they aren't really very important in like the main hellboy series i know they have their own spin-off series that's called bprd 
Well, I'm sure we actually get more into it. But there's weirdly very little of them in Hellboy, because it's not like him, one or two other agents, and whatever thing it is this time. And for the last two omnibuses, he's quit the job. Like, he winds up leaving the job and winds up having just an absolutely insane time of it after that. Like, that's the bit in the in the books where I was reading and going, oh my fucking god, what the hell's gonna happen next? <laughs> like, it just started getting progressively more insane. But yeah. Yeah, it's just the group that helps Hellboy out. Okay. And in this one, we have... His name is Abe Sapien, correct? The fish man? Yes. Uh, his friend Abe Sapien, who is basically, what if the creature from the Black Lagoon was, like, really well-spoken? As played by Doug Jones in the Hellboy movies prior, before he played what if uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon got fucked in Shape of Water. Um, he played what if the creature from the Black Lagoon was, like, really smart for Hellboy. The movies make it seem like he's a bigger character than he actually is in the comics. Like, he's not not in the comics, and I know he's got his own spin-off book, but, like, he's, like, Hellboy's bestie in the movies, and in this, he's, like, he's there sometimes. Just, like, I wouldn't one say of the occasional backup characters. Yeah, yeah, he's just, like, the most visually interesting of, like, the other BPRD agents, and, like, I, they have a good back and forth, like, clearly in this, they do care about each other, but it's not, like, I would say that the films, because Del Toro presumably has a real thing about the creature from the Black Lagoon, he was like, okay, Abe Sapien has to be the best friend. Yeah. Deeply disappointed that we didn't get this story uh, somehow in one of the Del Toro films. But Abe is like there in Hellboy's first story, which I'm pretty sure is the first one that was like done, like the first one of the main series. And so, like, he is an important character, but he's, like, barely in the last two omnibuses, which I just, aside from rereading this, is the most recent stuff I've read. So I'm like, oh, yeah, he's not been around for ages. Should we start out with plot stuff, or should we just write at the top, gush about Mignola's art for half an hour? We could just gush about the art for half an hour. I could, I, I'm probably going to just, like, return to gushing about the art as we go through some of the plot stuff, because the art is so fucking good. Like, the reason to read Hellboy is to look at a bunch of stuff that Mignola's drawn. Not yeah. that the writing isn't good, not that it isn't, like, an exciting setup, not that the characters aren't interesting, but it is drawn by Mike Mignola is the first thing on the list. And is basically the case with anything Mignola has ever done. Like, no matter how interesting the story is or isn't, the art is just too eye-catching. Yeah, it's just really stunning stuff. He, um, first of all, if you're not familiar with his artwork, go and just, like, Google image search him now. But I really love, like, he's so skilled at silhouettes like, character silhouettes always being really distinct and really interesting, and usually quite extreme, but not in, like, the typical cartoony ways. Um, And then the way he draws shadows just throughout his work with, like, everyone's made of these sort of hard lines. They're doing a Hellboy video game right now 
um, where it's set up to look like Mignola's art, and it's shockingly close. It's really impressive stuff. And it's just all about just, like, how black and sharp can you get the shadows on this? And how can you get it so that everyone's face is basically half the time just half in shadow with, like, there's these little sort of squiggly shapes sometimes at the edge of one of a shadow. It just adds a little bit of extra, like, texture definition to something. It's really great stuff. Yeah. I focused in immediately on the literal first panel of this, which is just a setting establishment shot of this house, or rather this manor, this giant-looking structure. And he has this way of providing detail very economically, like, at the side of this house that we're looking at, there are a few spots on it where Mignola has drawn in the individual, like, rivets between the bricks, you know, giving you that texture, conveying what this building's exterior fully looks like. Except most of it doesn't have all those little lines. Most of it is still just like colored in without all of the individual little details but you get like just enough little spots of detail to convey the information about the setting without having to make the image super busy and then you get just like his trademark shadows really deep black inks the conveyance of nighttime of shadows against the side of the house going across the road beside it and then you get like the trees around the house and the sky and the way that the page is laid out where this green and this black sort of like both colors are used for both things I'm trying to think of the words to describe exactly what this effect is doing. But you get just like the texture of like, oh, here is the leaves sort of conveying like something about it immediately also gives like the sense of it was a dark and spooky night, you know, like I immediately get the sense of there's probably a chill to the wind, you know, trees blowing we get the way that the tree line blends into the skyline and it's just moody. It's just a perfect evocative setting piece where the color scheme too also all fits really well together and you have the sort of muted nature of the grays and the greens and the black, which is then set against the bright yellow of the windows conveying just like the light is the disruption in this otherwise dark and spooky night did any of that make halfway sense to me trying to convey what i was saying yeah that made perfect sense i i also want to mention that i love the flat colors 
there's maybe one or two slight gradients, but they're just used to represent smoke. That's like a slightly different color where it's starting from, from where it's going. But like almost all of this is flat colors, which alongside the strong black inks just looks so great. Like I cannot imagine Mignola's work do with anything other than flat colors. It simply would not work. It would look hideous. Like you see some artists in comics where the line art is sort of less detailed and a lot of detail gets added in through the coloration. But this is basically the opposite of that. Like all the detail is in the inks themselves. And like you said, very flat color work, which sort of helps amp up the contrast all the more between just like the straight black ink and then whatever other colors may be used in the compositions of the panels. You talked a bit about just like his silhouettes and little lines giving texture. And I think that's really evident in like characters clothing. Like on page two, there's this shot on the bottom left of Abe Sapien in his coat. And most of it is just like pure black ink of the coat. But then we get like just enough small little details in the line work to convey like the texture of the fabric, but also the way it's draping across the body. And it just looks really great. Yeah, uh, his art's just fantastic. His character design work as well, which we get like a lot of very different looking characters in this. I mean, there's the obvious like non-human characters like Abe Sapien or like Hellboy. But then, you know, all the human characters here have different body types. They're different ages. He draws them all very differently, which is great. And it's not something that frankly you see enough in comics sorry where artists like show the different just the different ways human beings can look like normally everyone looks like a superhero admitted that's because it's just statistically speaking most comics that are like published on mass like this are superhero comics but it's great whenever we see something like that where we have a more diversity of human like anatomy i love I, i'm always going to point it out the variety in body shape especially is very nice and yeah like there was never an instance at any point here where i had any sort of like confusion over who a character was you know there was no same face syndrome there was no sort of like lack of visual clarity brought upon by the characters and there's a fair amount of characters here, you know, but he's really good at differentiating everybody. So heading into the plot, uh, basically the story opens with Hellboy and Abe Sapien having gotten, um, they've gotten a call from uh, this guy who he had the night before been like hanging out reading in his home when a man walked in holding a hand what well, he thinks it's a candlestick shaped like a human hand 
where like each of the fingers is a candle, but it's an actual hand that's been turned into a candle, as we find out in a bit. And this guy had used the hand to like it froze the man in place while uh this sorry, let me remind myself of this character's name so I can just start using it for the for the guy who came in. Mr. Bromhead. So Mr. Bromhead is the name of the guy who's come into this man's house and he breaks into a wall and steals a box and some tongs. And so, you know, Hellboy and Ape Sapien basically get enough details to figure out that, you know, the hand is a, it's a magical thing called the Hand of Glory. And they're also able to figure out that the box and the tongs is probably something very bad. Uh, it's it was put there by a Saint Dunstan, and they're able to get enough information to figure out where Bromhead had gone, which is Scotland. So we've gone from England to Scotland. Fun fact about Hellboy, he is the rightful king of England. Would have loved to have that come up in the Ron Perlman movies. I like the setup of this a lot. Like... You know, we didn't just read the first Hellboy story. Like we said, this is something in volume four. But the overall structure feels akin to just like catching whatever episode of a procedural happens to be on TV. You know, just like easy to follow premise. We've got our little magical buddy cop team on the case immediately get a taste of just the sort of magic I can expect in this world with the whole like human hand candlestick thing which you know is cool in a macabre way and has all the extra added powers to it and just like within the literal first two pages, I feel like this gives a good sort of sense of what tone to expect. And I'm not an expert on Christian theology, but just precursory Googling showing me that like the saint that's referenced was a real saint and a lot of the plot stuff here has roots in just, like, passed down actual, like, Catholic lore or whatever, et cetera, et cetera, is cool. Or Christian lore. I guess I don't know for sure if it's Catholic, but the point stands. Yeah, Hellboy is, like, very steeped in, like, real occult shit. I mean, there's a reason why, for the first, like, half of his comic, he spends most of his time punching Nazis. Like, this might be the first of the stories that didn't have a Nazi in it for him to punch. Because it's just like, the Nazis were obsessed with this shit. And, um, yeah, it, it, I didn't bother to Google the names of everything that showed up, but it doesn't remotely surprise me to find out they're all real. Um, there's also uh, a lot of it that does stuff with, like, classic English folklore. Um, and then a lot of it feels very Lovecraft inspired like it's not directly Lovecraft like Cthulhu doesn't show up but a lot of things that vibe as Cthulhu's show up 
which is great because everyone loves a Cthulhu, but it sucks when you use actual Cthulhu because it feels vaguely racist every time. So I, I'm always very happy when we have Lovecraftian stuff that is not Lovecraft stuff. Uh, and it's it's an interesting, like, Hellboy's clearly a very traditional-looking devil, but, like, if you've seen the first of the movies, it's it fairly accurately depicts like some of the other stuff as being giant tentacle monsters, which is the, the Lovecraft Cthulhu type aesthetic that you get a lot. Um, Abe Sapien sort of speaks to that as well, the whole fish man thing. Uh, the variability of it. I mean, part of that is whenever you write something like this for that length of time, you know, as I said, there's six omnibuses of this stuff and there's other books outside of that. Uh, you are just going to wind up with like a mix of different things. But it's a really good, interesting mix. I really like it. Baba Yaga is a major character in the series. I love Baba Yaga. And even like where things feel, you know, sort of standard and what they're doing on some level, they're still interesting to look at. Because like, yeah, like you're not wrong that Hellboy is a traditional devil in like horns, tail, he's red. But even the way that he's rendered stops him from feeling like just like a cookie cutter demon character for me, you know, just like everything texturally, especially with just like that big gigantic rock hand and just like the trench coats and just the personality, you know, like there's a million and one sort of generic demon characters out there, but. Hellboy feels very distinct. For me, the genius of it is him having like shaved his horns off. It just says so much about the character and it gives him such a unique look and silhouette compared to all those other devil characters. Like there's that and there's the um, honestly Ben Grimm-esque attitude he frequently has. You know, he's the curmudgeon. It's great. So when we cut to Scotland, uh, based Basically, we find out that Bromhead had been hired to get this box uh, by this old couple who have, in exchange uh, for him getting the box, they have uh, given him all of his the house and all of their worldly goods because they don't have any money left. And they believe that Satan is inside this box. And they're going to release him from the box in exchange for, uh, as the the man says, enough gold to lie down in and a gold crown on my head. And so they open the box. It opens up with stinky, nasty green smoke. But there's nothing inside it except for a little fly. And while the woman is shouting at Bromhead for having deceived them, the fly flies into her mouth. And she immediately turns into, like, she still looks like the old woman she was before, except now her eyes are green, and her nails are sharper, and her silhouette has just ever so slightly changed. You know, she's so very clearly possessed. And the man reaches out, saying, Bellana, are you okay? And she tells him he's a monkey, and he literally turns into a monkey. He's a monkey now. <laughs> we get this absolutely fantastic panel of this very shocked and surprised monkey. 
And she's about to do the same thing to Bromhead, essentially. But he has actually come prepared for this. He was clearly taking advantage of this couple. And he is set up to A, be protected by the demon's magic, and B, he knows the demon's true, like, secret name. So he is able to control it. Uh, this is Yuolak, who is a minor demon of hell. So this is not actually Satan the way this couple fought. Like, they were just, they had no idea what they were doing. Yeah, it's a very, like, here's the two dumb schmucks who thought they were going to summon a demon. And here's the con man who they thought was helping them, who was actually smart enough to not fuck around with the shit without a plan. Now he has control over... Jeez, saying it is just... Yuwalak? I'm gonna have to get used to saying that, because I, I, when I re read this, I'm just looking at the visual. Uh, he is now, by the way, the upon like having the true name stated, sort of shrunken into like a, a grey little gargoyle-looking demon. It's another fun design. I really like the big rounder eyes that this character has. Most people... Most creatures in this sort of have more slitty shaped eyes, and this one they're like nearly perfect circles. It's a nice touch, makes them look a little bit more like scared and threatened, which I think is very appropriate. And so the plan is, um, Bromhead is able to get from the demon Hellboy's secret name because the giant like. This is, I suppose, context you didn't have when you read it, and if you this is the only Hellboy you've read, you won't have it, but there's seven, like, gods of hell in, like, they seem to be imprisoned in this massive crystalline structure, which is what we have a panel of here, and Yulak had in his prison heard them whispering Hellboy's name, because Hellboy's destiny is supposed to be to bring hell to Earth, and to release these beasts of the apocalypse. So, of course, they know his secret name because they've purposely had him created for this. And so all of this is actually a trap for Hellboy. So Hellboy and Ape Sapien show up and they go into the house, which the opening, the hall, the first hall of it is just filled with all of this taxidermy, which I really love the creepy-ass way that all of the deer heads are drawn. Just like this house generally that's just filled with all sorts of, you know, random Arcania that this couple clearly had spent all of their money collecting to try and amass some kind of occult power. The background decorations in the house are all great, yeah. Like, all of the busts of the deer on the walls. One of them that looks like it has something drooling from its mouth. We have just, like, the various rugs and tapestries. Like, we get some shots of one in the background looking very mythological. Podiums, all the portraits. Like, it, again, is just very nice, dark, scary manner. We get an obligatory, like, creepy bust with, like, the clanker thing on the front door. I don't know if there's a term for those things, the, like, half-statue door-knobby things. The, 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 the knocker? Yeah, I don't know if there's a term for the ones that are, like, decorated like that. But, um, this is where we come. So, they find the box, and the exact dialogue here is Abe says, well, they opened it, 
Hellboy just says, idiots. <laughs> hey, what's that in the corner? Abe looks. Is that a monkey? <laughs> we can't. This is this is the panels. He's got a gun from Hellboy. And then the monkey yelling, holding a gun out with two giant blam blams as the monkey opens fire and hits Abe twice. Because, of course, all of this was a trap and the monkey's being controlled. Bromhead comes out and is using his magical magic and like his knowledge of Hellboy's secret name to to bind him. It's a very classic, like, if you know something's true name, you can control it. I mean, this goes, like, it's very Rumpelstiltskin. It, I feel like it's a common enough trope with magic systems. You know, you've got the secret name that you can use to control you. And, like, wizards don't use their birth names, because otherwise, like, the demons will be able to find know their name and control them. Yeah, it's all over everything from fairy tales to Earthsea. Do you know what Earthsea is? Is that Ursula Le Guin? Yes. Beyond that, I don't know anything. I'm just like, that's the name I associate in my head when you say Earthsea. If there were any Le Guin-based comics, we would have already covered them. But the thing about Le Guin is that she always held on to the rights for adapting her stuff because she just wasn't gonna take the payout to watch some garbage get made and the only two times there were ever Earthsea adaptations they were terrible so she was right to be reticent about letting people do anything with her stuff you gotta respect the hell out of that yeah but anyway there's a monkey and he has a gun yes the monkey has a gun Abe has been shot Hellboy is being, like, magically bound, and now the monkey is just dragging Abe away as Abe is bleeding out. Like, the thing about the monkey with a gun is it's extremely funny. But also, Abe spends most of this story nearly dying because of this monkey with a gun. I love how serious and threatening it is still. Uh, and so Bromhead is basically trying to take full control over Hellboy, and... By shouting his secret name, Hellboy's horns grow, and the the thing about Hellboy is he's supposed to, like, not only is he, uh, as it turns out, the rightful king of England and a direct descendant of King Arthur, he is also, like, supposed to ascend to the throne of Hell, right? That's the whole, like, prophecy about him that he's constantly trying to fight and avoid. And so this is one of several Hellboy stories where something demonic happens that makes his horns grow, and you get, like, a look at what evil Hellboy would look like with the flaming crown above his head, the, which is the crown of the apocalypse. It's really cool. It's, like, it's the opposite of Ornate. It's just this simple line work and, like, what looks... You know, like, I'm sure wasn't literally this program, but it's giving, like, MS Paint fill tool for the gold. It sort of looks just like a simple line drawing transposed onto the rest of the art, which is an interesting choice. You know, like, a crown you could make hyper-detailed, ornate as fuck, especially with something as holy or 
hellbound as this would be, but it's very simple and it looks cool. It's just an interesting sort of choice in terms of low detail. Yeah, I, I think the thing about this crown is it's not really a physical crown. You know, this is just like a visualization of Hellboy's role and destiny in the apocalypse, which once Uwalek takes it and puts it on himself, which in both cases, both with Hellboy wearing it and Uwalek wearing it, it doesn't touch their heads. It just floats above them in like this glowing aura around them. But Uwalek turns into sort of a much bigger demonic creature that's now much more visually reminiscent of Hellboy in design. At least like Hellboy with the horns grown out in that form. Meanwhile, the monkey is has chained Abe Sapien up in the dungeon and is now branding him. It's brutal. It's it's really fucking nasty. We have a couple pages of this monkey torturing Abe. Count Guarino, I want to say his name was, he got turned to this monkey, is A, clearly a fucked up dude, B, just like the worst fucking monkey. I mean, the best drawn monkey. This is one of the best monkeys I've ever seen in a comic. Yeah, like last year, at the end of the year, we talked about all of the great horses we had seen drawn throughout the year. I don't know if there's one species that's come up as much this year, so much as we'll just have various great animals to talk about. And this is a very well-drawn monkey. Even the way it moves, like the way he depicts like a monkey jumping and just their weird little movements. Yeah, it's it's really fantastic. I um I hate and love this monkey. Like yeah. the thing is, I really like Abe Sapien because of Doug Jones, frankly. Um, so I'm like, oh, it sucks seeing this happen to Abe, but also this monkey is just excellent. Yeah. And when we do like the scene cut back, because we do keep getting like the quick cutbacks and forth. I'll again just mention more of the deer bus hanging on the walls where we get these shots of them like bleeding from their eyes and like dripping blood at the mouth. Just again, more excellent imagery. And the fucking fucked up tongs that the other guy has been using on Hellboy. Yeah, Bromhead's been trying to beat Hellboy to death with these tongs. Uh, but Uwalak stops him uh, because they need to cut off his hand because Hellboy's hand is like a large part of all of the prophecies. Like, it's the key. I mean, if you've seen the Hellboy, the first movie. You've seen the bit where he uses his giant hand to open, like, a gateway into hell. Like, the hand's important. The big stone hand. And so, they're going to cut his hand off and then, like, beat him to death. Meanwhile, we return to Hellboy's perspective, where he he wakes up. Like, this is sort of an eerie, out-of-time, like, dream moment, essentially. Uh, It's very... You know, there's just some weird figures hanging out in the tree with glowing eyes talking to Hellboy. 
I can't remember these characters' names. They show up in other things. And there's this great moment. So basically, they ask Hellboy what his name is. Because that's how he's being prevented from fighting back afterwards. Because they, um, Bromhead knows his secret name. It's uh, Anung Unrama is the name, by the way. It's just the... And so these figures say, Anung Unrama will destroy the great beast. And upon his brow is set a crown of fire. Is that who you are? Hellboy thinks about it and says, no, that's not who I am. It's not your name, then, is it? And so back on Earth, Hellboy wakes up now in control because, uh, A, frankly, his name is Hellboy. It's not Anonurama. And B, that, like, in terms of magic, he isn't Anonurama anymore because that's Uwalak now because he's got the crown of the apocalypse on. It is fun to have a little true name reversal. Yeah, it's it's great because it kind it works for the character and like his desire to be free of that destiny and that like potential. But it also works in a like, yeah, this is how magic would work kind of a way. Like you're like, oh yeah, that does make sense. If the name is tied to the destiny, then he it wouldn't be his name anymore if he's not tied to the destiny anymore. And so now Hellboy gets to kick Uwalak's ass. We get some cool fist fights between them. Um, I really like the sort of Kirby crackle behind them, representing like this hellfire that's surrounding the fight. I love a bit of Kirby crackle, and I think that Magnola's style is very well suited to something like that. Yeah, like we get throughout this a lot of just sort of like auras of energy, whether it be like literal fire crackling. Or just the way that sort of motion is being depicted, like Magnola's very good at, yeah, just like you said, just like the crackling sort of energy in the background or surrounding characters and coming off of their weapons. Uh, there's several panels of this fight where they're like, um, well, there's just some really great panels of like the two demons as well, because, you know, these are two big muscular demon characters and Hellboy now even has like the horns but their proportions are still different enough and their silhouettes are still different enough that even if this wasn't like colored so that Hellboy is bright red and Uwalak is now like sort of a pale yellow in color you could still very easily tell them apart at a glance because the silhouettes and the way they're drawn is still so different like, McGill is just so good at that shit. His character design work is flawless. Yeah, and, like, they're very easily differentiated, even though they still have, like, so much in common body shape-wise. Like, he manages to still just give them the differentiating details. Because, like, you know, these are both, like, top-heavy, broad-torso big thick demons both of them have tails they're about the same height you know like it would be pretty easy for a lesser artist to make this confusing but it's not at all well especially since a large part of the point of the story here is that Uwalak becomes more like Hellboy and so the fact that you're he's still able to communicate that storytelling without making it look so much like Hellboy that I I'm just like, even if I couldn't tell them apart via the color, 
I would never mistake these two characters in any of these panels. There's no point of confusion. It's really well done. You know, Abe Sapien has a pretty fucking badass moment where he kicks back the monkey and then breaks the chain. The he doesn't break the chains that he's attached to. He breaks the bit of wall that his chains are attached to off the wall and uses it to smack the monkey in the fucking face, breaking like a big hole in the wall. <laughs> Abe's very cool. And then proceeds and... to like faint out of the way so that when the monkey goes jumping at him again, it's unintentionally like flings itself through the wall and like falls however many stories down with a fud to the ground. And we get just the shot afterward of Abe's pissed off satisfaction face. And the monkey lying dead on the ground covered in gold. Enough gold for it to lie down in. Just like the guy said he was going to wish for. Yep. And of course, meanwhile, what's this other man's name again? Bromhead? Bromhead has his moment of being like, oh shit, when he realizes that his talisman has been ripped and his protection from the demon has been undone. So we see him start screaming as he's like halfway through being morphed into some sort of reptilian. Yeah, the uh, the demons that he invoked to try and take control of a Hellboy now that he's no longer protected from them are uh, really pissed. Uh, Lord Astroff, the Great Prince of Hell, who's like kind of banking on Hellboy's eventual like part in the prophecy. You know, so he's kind of pissed that this has been interrupted in this way. Like this, basically the implication here is that like demon princes are like, what the fuck? Why are you passing on this destiny to someone else? We don't want that. Uh, we also get a glimpse here of Rasputin, who is the guy who worked with the Nazis to summon Hellboy and is a, a major player in the story. <laughs> yes, that Rasputin, the Russian guy. This is sort of a side note, but seeing it buzz around here at the end of this fight, I also just like how the fly imagery is dealt with or I guess just used in general, because like we see it at the very beginning and then here again, you know, of like the demon possessing the woman in fly form and then here coming out again after the end of the battle. And I just like the visual call to just like that concept of the Lord of the Flies. It's cool. Lord of the Flies as in satan not as in the book that is named after that same idea about a bunch of boys killing each other yeah i kind of love that as like a form that demons take when they're not like possessing it's not really in any of the rest of hellboy but it's like a cool function for this demon i mean a lot of different things just work differently based on the individual character in hellboy anyway uh my favorite moment from the end of this fight is hellboy taking the giant horns that are grown snapping them off his head so he's got like his classic silhouette back with just the two circles rather than the big horns and using them to stab Uwalak which is what finally finishes the fight and it ends 
the comic basically just ends with Hellboy handing Ulak's fly form off to Oh wait. Nope, he just looks like Rasputin. I take back what I said about Rasputin earlier. Because this is this is Astaroth, who just looks a lot like Rasputin does. But he takes Uwalak and he also takes Hellboy's crown and takes them to hell to wait for him. And we get a glimpse of something more closely resembling Astaroth's true form, which is why I was like, oh, right. Yeah, that wasn't Rasputin. He just looks almost exactly like the guy, the bald guy with the big black beard. And he sort of goes from his human form to this more sort of like demonic look as he's descending into the water towards hell as he's like suddenly on this like tentacled beast and holding a snake and we just get like the crackling purple smoke of hell and all of that and it's just like a nice dramatic look that hellboy doesn't take seriously and essentially just tells him to fuck off yeah hellboy just kind of gets really annoyed whenever anyone's like Hey, you're 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 gonna be king of the demons one day. He's like, I really fucking don't want to be. Please go away. And he goes and finds Abe, who is still alive, and you know they're clearly gonna go and get him medical help, and he'll he'll be fine despite being like shot three or four times and branded and beat up and like put through some real shit. And we end with a shot of the dead monkey. With a little crown having fallen on his head now, just for the the full irony of being an idiot who doesn't know what they're doing. But yeah, that's um that's box full of evil. If you're reading in the trade, there's a little epilogue where he talks to Kate Corrigan, but that's just sort of connecting it to some of the wider Hellboy stuff. I don't think it's necessary for us to get into that here because I'll just feel the need to try and explain things that I half remember from finishing all this a month ago. Yeah. This was good. Was a good first impression. Go read Hellboy, everyone. Uh, surprising absolutely no one. It it kind of rules. It's a great series. I guess any final notes, or is that a wrap? I mean, I think we kind of covered it. It's it's Magnolia's great art, engaging characters. You know, lots of cool mythology. It, it, it something you like's gonna turn up at some point. Yeah, that's it's it's Hellboy. Go read Hellboy. Yeah. In the meantime, we have one more week of Spooktober yet to come. I'm not 100% sure what we'll be talking about because we'll be recording some stuff out of order ahead of time. But we'll have something spooky for you for the last week of October next week. And until then, thank you all for listening and bye. Bye, everyone. Excellent to each other.